Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Don't you guys get it? I'm raising this Moses up in the house of Pharaoh that I can deliver you out of bondage. What did the Jews do? They rejected Moses. Who made you ruler and judge over us? He says in verse 26, And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill us as you did the Egyptian yesterday? They're rejecting their deliverer. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, every time I turn around, God's trying to do something good for the nation of Israel. They reject it, and they got to go through another generation, 40 years, without the judgment or the leading or the deliverance of God. When 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. Now, this term, angel of the Lord, is speaking of God manifesting himself amongst earth, okay? This is a, really a picture the Jews would have understood it as Messiah, a theophany, they would call it. Theos being the word for God, ophany meaning a manifestation or an appearance, an appearance of God. God showed up and appeared in in this case, a bush, a burning bush, but in other cases, in human form. And it says here, that angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord and came to him, saying, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. For those of you who are Bible scholars, you go through the Bible and you hear this stuff about the angel of the Lord and people say it's God. I say it's God, but I say it's God because the Bible says it's God. Look what the angel of the Lord says. It says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, Messiah, come to bring a message to the hearers. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for this place where you stand is holy ground. And this is what the Sanhedrin and these people that are bringing bad accusations, the synagogue of the freemen, don't understand as they're dealing on holy ground. When I prayed for the legislators up in Boise, what, night before last, I told them, we're on holy ground right here. We're dealing with life and death. What we're dealing with is not some kind of, oh, bill about taxes or, or whatever. We're talking about life and death right here. You have to understand, we are on holy ground. And this is what God told Moses. And through the story, Stephen tells the Sanhedrin, what you're dealing with, with this Jesus that you crucified, you're on holy ground right now. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Verse 35, this Moses, this is now Stephen speaking loud and proud, this Moses whom they rejected, who are they? The Jews, the leaders of Israel. This Moses, your Moses, this Moses whom they rejected, 
saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, and after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. So Stephen just keeps building a case. You're rejecting Abraham. You're rejecting Isaac. You're rejecting Jacob, Israel. You're rejecting Joseph. You're rejecting Moses. You're rejecting the Word of God. All these things are part of his story, and you should know his story. Verse 37, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren, him you shall hear. Everybody in those days knew he was talking about Messiah. We know Messiah better by the Greek term Christos or Christ. And this is a prophecy from the book of Deuteronomy, God saying, I'm going to raise up Messiah for you. Verse 38, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles given to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but, what does it say in your Bible? That's what it says in my Bible. But they rejected it, rejected it. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. This is technically a quote out of the prophet Amos. It's Amos chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, speaking about the rejection of Israel. God says, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle, or the worship tent, of Moloch. That was the god of prosperity, but it was also the god which they would sacrifice their babies to. When you had an inconvenient pregnancy, that baby would be born, you would go down to the shrine of Moloch. It would be made out of bronze. It was hollow inside. They'd build a huge fire in the belly. The belly and the arms would grow glowing red hot, and they would take the baby and throw it on there and kill it. And this was a part of their religious worship. And this is what they're now doing. Amos says, you're rejecting God for that? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away to beyond Babylon. So God is just continually dealing with their rejection. Verse 44, our fathers had a tabernacle in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers having received it in turn also brought with Joshua into land to possess by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. So now he's talking about the temple, the tabernacle, or whom they say, you've said negative things about our, our tabernacle, our place of worship. And he goes, no, this is what God said, but make it according to the pattern. And you go back into Deuteronomy and Exodus and, and read about this pattern, but it really is a picture of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says, uh, which our fathers having received in turn, also brought with Jesus into the land possessed by the Gentiles. Do you see that in your Bible? I'm teasing you. Nobody wants to say no. What do you see in your Bible? Yeshua? That's what it would be as Stephen is speaking before 
the Sanhedrin, he's speaking either in Hebrew, Yeshua, or Yesu, if he was using the Greek term here, but he's just brought Jesus into the story. This is that Jesus, that pattern, that picture, which your fathers brought with you when you brought the temple here into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, Stephen going on, yes, Solomon built a temple. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet said, and now he quotes Isaiah 66, 1, God says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And it's just a picture of God is bigger and better and most superior, and they're worshiping their temple. They're worshiping their Moses or their Abraham or their uh, rituals, their customs. But Jesus is better. He's more superior. The book of Hebrews I mentioned goes into great detail about this. In Hebrews chapter 1, I'll just give you a little sample, a taste of it. In chapter 8, verse 1, the author of Hebrews says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. This is speaking about Jesus Christ, superior to all this a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not men. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now... He, Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant was established on better promises. Jesus is better on so many levels. Better promises, better blessings, better worship. Everything is better in Christ. And this is what we're speaking here. Solomon tried to build a temple, but he's not reading Isaiah. God says, I I don't live in a house. I don't live in a building. I'm the God of the pilgrim Abraham. I'm the God of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm the God of Joseph, even though he was thrown in a pit. I pulled him back out. I'm the God of Moses, who was thrown in the river, and I pulled him out. I'm the God of the law. I'm the God of everything. And you guys are trying to just squeeze it down, shoehorn it into this little religious box. So now that he gets done answering... Through his story, it's God's story. He just, he just reads the scripture. Now he gets done answering against these accusations against, or they say, against Moses, against God, against the temple, against the law, against the customs, against the traditions, and he's laid it all out for him. Now that he's done that, it's time for application. Any good preacher has to get to the point eventually. Otherwise, we would say they're not a very good preacher. You've got to get to the point. And you're probably thinking that before I even said it. Here comes the point. Verse 51. You stiff-necked 
and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which the prophet... Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And I wonder which part of that bothered them the most. Some of the Sadducees, I'm sure the angel part didn't sit well with them. But this is all just the story. God created the heavens and the earth. God created man. God gave them blessings and promises, family, future, hope. He gave them the law. He gave them so many things, but they continued to reject it. And now Stephen, a Greek-named deacon of the early church, stands before the Sanhedrin and calls him out to their face. I was tempted to say, read this passage when I prayed for our elected officials, but I was. I thought, oh, that'd be good. I'd just get up and say, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart. <laughs> and I say that as a joke because sometimes we get frustrated with our politicians, but you know what? We've got some great politicians. When we were up there, these were the people that stood up and passed the Defense of Life Act. And now they're working on the uh, Idaho um, Pregnant Mothers Act, which we need to do to make adoption easier in the state of Idaho so that these women, these men, these families that find the circumstances don't work for them to have that baby. That doesn't mean they don't have the baby. They just place it into a family that is desperate and waiting for it. There are millions and millions and millions of people in America. I think it's somewhere around 11, 12 million people in America right now that are trying to adopt. And about 2% are going to succeed. Why? Red tape and high costs. I'd do it if I could, but I can't afford it. I, can't, I don't have a lawyer. I don't know where to start. It's like, are you kidding me? For that reason, we'll kill a baby? Well, I didn't, I didn't read this, but Stephen certainly preached it to these guys. They had it coming, okay? These Sanhedrin, you stiff-necked, you stubborn, obstinate, headstrong. It's a picture of an ox, right? Or a donkey that's just like, Ugh! and no matter what you do to try to make it go right or left, it's like, I'm not going to go any place but this. That's what God said. That term, stiff-necked, God uses... 20 times in the Old Testament about Israel. So even in this, Stephen still isn't hurling insults. He's just calling them the name that God calls them. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. They were very proud of their standing as Jews with the circumcision. This is supposed to be the sign that sets us apart from the goyim, from the Gentiles, from all the other nations. We, in our robes in the Sanhedrin, are not like you, Stephen. We are Jews. We have the circumcision. And yet God would say multiple times in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9.26, Deuteronomy 10.16, it goes on and on, do not be uncircumcised in heart. 
you need to cut away that flesh, that lust, that desire, that pride, that, that, that thing in you that keeps you from me. You need to get rid of that. But they weren't. They had fat hearts. They were full of themselves. You stiff neck and uncircumcised heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. And he's completely laid it all out. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. All I'm telling you is what you should know. This has been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The Word of God. Every word of it, you can take it to the bank. You can bet your life on it. The prophecies fulfilled to a T. The only thing in human history, this is not just a book. There's nothing, nothing, nothing on earth like the Holy Scriptures. Absolutely in a class of their own. And if people would just take the time to look at it and read it, they would see what Stephen is showing. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We are guilty. The wages of sin is death. And not one of us is righteous. We've all gone astray. And the only hope for us is that God would forgive us, that blood would be shed to pay our debt. And in fact, it was done once for all the world on the cross of Calvary, 2,000 years old. And you need to know that's part of the Christmas story. This is how it works. That's why that baby was born. He was born to save the world from his sins. You shall call his name Jesus. Okay? So, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's just crazy, right? Cut to the heart. We've already seen that. The word furious, it came up before. But they're just absolutely torn in their soul and their spirit. They're beside themselves. They're raging. And there's Stephen, like an angel. Just sharing the good word, telling his story, completely whole, shalom, peaceful, but powerful, bold, on spot, his words with grace, seasoned with salt, just laying it out there, and now they are just tearing their robes, and it says they're gnashing their teeth. That's just, that's craziness. Have you ever actually had somebody gnash their teeth at you? Crazy. There's seven times in the Bible it talks about these Jews, these leaders, gnashing their teeth. And what's interesting, Jesus uses this to describe hell. Over and over, when Jesus describes hell, he goes, it's that place of outer darkness, it's that lake of fire where the worm is not quenched and the fire doesn't go out. He says it's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And here these guys are, they're supposed to be the ones leading people into glory in the kingdom of God. And what they're doing is actually living in hell itself on earth. They're in the midst of weeping and gnashing, and they're just practicing for eternity. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, godliness, goodness, self-control, he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Wow. 
that would be amazing. I remember when I was in the Philippines once, we were uh, doing missions up the coast, and we were in a town one night, and I missed the last bus out of town, so I had to spend the night uh, laying on the marble slab of the floor of one of the hotel rooms where the team was at. I got up early in the morning for the first bus, but because we were out on mission work, I had my shorts on. When I got back to the uh, Bible college, I didn't have a key to get in my room to change. You're not supposed to preach in shorts. It's a no-no, okay? But I had no choice, so I had to walk into the classroom in front of my students in shorts, and they're like, what, are we having a day off? I'm like, no, I'm going to teach. We were in this passage, and we came to this portion right here where Stephen looked and saw heaven open before him and saw the Son of God. I was just, I was so moved teaching this class, I began crying. I just, I was just like, I, I will love, I would love to see that. Wouldn't you love to see that? I mean, when you read your Bible, do you see that? Or are you just reading a story? This is his story. This is what happens. This is what happened to Stephen. He's in front of everybody. The rest of the world be freaking out. He's just completely calm and composed. He's just telling them, this is what you guys did. And he looks up and he sees God. They made fun of me afterwards. When we got ready to leave, we, they do a big old feast. And they get up and each one of the team members that comes to visit, they do some kind of pantomime or charade. And we're supposed to guess who that team member would be. And when it got time to guess who I would be, one of the guys got up and he rolled his pants up like this and he got up in front of everybody and he goes, <laughs> and everybody instantly knew it was me. <laughs> but I want to see that. Don't you want to see this? Being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing. This is the first martyr. This is the first Christian who's going to be put to death for the name of Jesus Christ. And as Stephen looks into heaven, Jesus isn't just sitting there watching. Jesus gets on his feet. Standing ovation. Way to go, Steve. Good job. Amen. I just love that, that Jesus is standing on his feet. You know, there's a story told of Handel's Messiah. And if you know, the, the, it's a wonderful uh, musical by Handel. And there's a part where you get to what's called the Alleluia Chorus. And it's Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. And it goes on and on and on. Well, it was played for a special audience in England before Queen Victoria. And the protocol, the procedure of the day was that Royalty, the king or queen, would never stand before others stood first. It was just a way of showing respect. But when it got to that part where Queen Victoria realized this was for her Lord Jesus Christ, there in the theater with nobody saying anything, just listening, she got up and began to applaud. And because of that, everybody then stood. And it's a tradition to this day. If you ever go to see a performance of Handel's Messiah, everybody stands at the Hallelujah Chorus. Okay? And this is what's happening here. It's just absolutely amazing. Look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran in with one accord. Just a mob, a rage, just insane, out-of-control mob. And they come at him. Um, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named 
Saul. You're going to meet him. The rest of the book of Acts and a great deal of the rest of the letters in all the New Testament is written by him. You know him with the name that Jesus gave him, Paul. Paul the Apostle. But here they laid their coats at the feet of of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Worship team, y'all can come on up. There he is, Lord Jesus. I know I'm going to die. That doesn't bother me. In fact, (laughs) here you are in a room full of the leaders of the nation, right? You can imagine you're in Washington, D.C., and and everybody's there, and you're standing in front of them, and they want to kill you. And you have a choice. I could stay here with all these people who want to kill me, or I could go there. I want to go there. Yeah, beam me up, Scotty. I'm ready. There's no intelligent life down here, right? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That one just breaks my heart as we look at all these people who hate this cult of death that envelops the world. It's on the 24-hour news cycle. It's amazing to me. It was not that many years ago you could watch the news and you wouldn't hear about every murder and mugging and wicked thing that was going on across the world. And now because of this internet phenomenon that we have, it seems like people are just dying every second. Well, they are. But it's just brought right to you, right to your heart. And you're just like, man, don't charge him with this sin. Lord, I know. And this is so hard as we sing Christmas carols, as we sing about Jesus, as we sing about his birth and glory and and joy and hope. He came to die for every sinner. And we really need to get our head wrapped around that. Somehow we need to pray for our enemies. Somehow, we've got to pray for those who hate us, who spitefully use us, who tell lies about us, just like they did to Stephen. Look look at this. He knelt down. He cried out with a loud voice, do not charge him with his sin. And when he said this, he, in your Bible, probably says, fell asleep. That's a euphemism, which is a soft way of saying he died. But we know that death is not permanent. Death is just the portal into eternity. The moment he closes his eyes and exhales, the next moment he opens his eyes, inhales, and there he is in heaven. So the Bible uses the term, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, you thought I was going to finish, huh? Verse 1, I've got to do at least half of verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. We see Saul of Cilicia, Tarsus in Cilicia. He must have been part of this group of the synagogue of freedmen. How else would Luke be able to record their plot, their scheme, their plan to say all these evil things about it? Paul was back there at the beginning of the chapter. Here he is at the end of the chapter. And we're going to see in chapter 9 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What do you do with that kind of hatred? What do you do with that person who just wants to see you crushed, destroyed, the name of Jesus just buried? What do you do for him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And because Stephen prayed that prayer, we have Paul, the apostle, as he prayed that prayer for him. So I just ask as we close, let's, let's pray. Father God, there are so many things in this world that are so wrong. And I'm sure it breaks your heart in ways we can't even begin to imagine. And yet, Lord, we know that we celebrate you, Emmanuel, God with us, born in a cradle, come to bring light, life, love, hope, and joy to the world. Help us, Lord, to embrace that light, that love, that hope, that joy. Help us to live it. Help us to share it. Help us to spread it, Lord to those who so desperately need us. Help us, Lord, to be quick to pray when we see people who don't know you, that our hearts could be as broken for them as you were for us when you hung on that tree. We know, Lord Jesus, that the time is short and you're coming again soon. And so we don't have many days to get that word out. Help us to take this season and capitalize on the lights, on the festivities, on the joy. Help us to use this to bring your son to the world that they can know what we know and enjoy you. We pray this according to the work you have done in our behalf, according to the joy that lives in our heart, according to you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.